Hello and welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For info on upcoming events, find us on Instagram at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. What's up, RPYA family? I love Brian Moorhead. How many of you know Brian Moorhead? That's my dog. That's my dog. You can tell him I said that. Uh, he did, probably won't know what you're talking about. Um, but that's that. The, the people that are in that video are all like on staff at Rocky Peak, and we love them so much, so we decided to use them in one of our videos. So that's all. Good evening. My name is Kelly, by the way. You're like, who's this guy? I'm Kelly. I am the young adult pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. If this is your very first time, I'm personally stoked that you're here. So thank you for coming. You're, you've joined us on the second week of our series called Behind the Music. That's right, Behind the Music. And um, today we're going to talk about labels, not record labels, but the labels that we carry with us. How many of you know what this is? Some of you do not know what it is. Like, is that like a 1990s pager? No, it's a label maker, a label maker. And and labels are and are powerful, and, and we carry them with us. And some of us carry labels with you. So, like, maybe you carry the label, like, brother or sister. Raise your hand if that's you. Brother or sister? Okay. Raise your hand if you carry the label, maybe athlete. Oh, cool. There's a few of us. Maybe artist, right? Maybe, um, you know, boy. Maybe girl, right? We carry these labels with us. And, and so early on, I remember when I got my first label. And uh, the first time I got a label, I remember I was pretty good at art. And so people used to call me what? An artist. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm artistic. And I really didn't know the difference between other type of istics. Uh, but I was artistic. Um, and and I, I just, I, you know, and I always just thought, you know, everybody was really creative. And so uh, I thought um, I was artistic and I identified myself as somebody who was good at art other than the fact that I was colorblind. And then people started making fun of me because I couldn't tell the difference between brown and red. And I couldn't find the lines to color within. And so I never did good in school, even at an early age, and I was held back. And so I was labeled with another label. I had a learning disability. And so now I held the label disabled. Uh, And, you know... uh, when I was in sixth grade, I, I, I struggled with my, my ethnicity. I did. I was uh, never black enough to hang out with the black kids. I was never white enough to hang out with the white kids. So I would hang out with the Hispanic kids. And I thought that would work out. I used to pretend that I was like, you know, third generation Cuban and, you know, I didn't speak Spanish. Uh, but uh, they figured it out pretty soon. And then they started calling me names. One of the names I used to be called was Mayate. It's a black beetle that flies, and it's really annoying. Uh, So I found some new friends after that. I never was athletic. At least I thought I was an athlete because I wanted to be like Mike. Until one day in ninth grade, I decided to score for for the wrong team. See, I didn't realize that, the, that after halftime, they switched baskets, and I was so excited that no one was chasing me, and I went up for my first basket of the season only to turn around to see the disappointment on my team's face. And I was labeled not athletic. Uh, 
I used to have a scar on the back of my head that went from the base of my skull to the bottom of, or the top of my shoulder. And it, and it was a lighter shade than the color of my skin. And that's when I got another label. I'm bleached. I was called bleached. Or they, or they said I had mad cow disease. I was really insecure about my hair growing up because it was kind of curly and unruly. And uh, so I used to put a lot of gel in my hair, put a lot of, lot of gels, like Pro Style. I don't know if you know about Pro Style, but it's brown gels made for the Afrocentric types. And I used to put so much Pro Style in my hair that one day my friend called me, and I was looking this way, and I looked this way really fast. And a little bit of gel, just a little bit, not a lot, just landed on his white shirt. From that day forward, my name was Greaseball. Can't see it, but it says Greaseball. See, labels are powerful. Do you think any of those labels affected the way I lived my life? Do you think it affected the way I saw sports? Do you think it affected the way I uh, shaved my head as often as possible because I'm insecure about my hair? Do you think it affects the way the fat, the way that I, I, I wear hats every day because I'm afraid of being judged by people about my hairline? I think so. And I think I'm not the only one in this room that carries labels with me. I'm not. See, labels have the potential to lock you in and keep others out. Labels have the power to determine who you are and how you view the world around you. See, the wrong label can lock you in and keep God out. It's true. The wrong label can lock you in to living a certain way and keep God and others out of your life. And so the question that I want us to ask today is who? Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? You, 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 you. Who has the right to label you? Because we're carrying labels all around us. And so as we jump into God's word and try to kind of reconcile with this concept of labels, would you please pray with me? Pray with me that you would hear God's voice. You may not even believe God today. And maybe you, you showed up and you're like, maybe he'll talk here. I mean, if, if he's going to show up anywhere, I mean, a church is a good place. Maybe you didn't come here on purpose. Maybe you were just following a hot girl. I get it. But maybe if you've never prayed, You've never thought to ask God to speak to you. Maybe today is the day where you ask God to speak to you, and perhaps he does. Father, thank you that I can call you dad. And you know the labels that I carry. And you know what they've done to me, and you know what they're doing to me. I pray that you'd speak through your word. And that your children who are sitting in these chairs right now would hear your voice. 
Jesus' name, amen. So the question is, who on earth has the right to label you? Or who in the universe has the right to label you? And so there, there are three, three categories of people or entities that have the right to label you. The first entity is the manufacturer has the right to label you, right? See, manufacturers have the right to label things because, you know, they made it, clearly, right? Anybody have a car? Um, don't raise your hand if you are ashamed of it. But if you don't have a car, cool. If you do have a car, awesome. But typically on the car that you drive, you will see names, like labels, all over the car, like Toyota. You'll see Toyota everywhere. Lexus, Infiniti, Mazda, right? You'll see it. You know why? Because they're the manufacturers. They're made, they made it. See, who on earth has the right to label you? Let me tell you. It's the one who made you. The one who made you. If you're taking notes, it's the one who made you. Huh, awesome. Good job, guys. Killing it. The one who made you, now that's a tricky situation, especially if you don't believe in God or believe in faith or believe in, or you're just skeptic. And there's two type of atheists in the room, and there's one type of creationist in the room when it comes to this topic. See, there's the creationists who think that atheists are dumb, and the atheists think that the creationists are dumb. And let me tell you, you cannot look down on each other because definitely there is a creationist that is smarter than the atheist. And there's <laughs> atheists that are way smarter than creationists. See, the two type of atheists. There's an atheist here that thinks, you know what? It's the um, more intelligent way to go by being atheist. You know, not believing in God is the most intellectual thing I can do. Therefore, I'm going to be an atheist. Then there's a second atheist that says, I don't even care <laughs> if God exists. I just don't want anybody telling me what to do. Now, with that person, there's not much of a conversation there. But for somebody who's seeking truth, wow, there's a conversation there. There is a conversation. See, creationists need to know that they have something to learn from those who are atheists. And atheists have something to learn from those who are creationists. And what they need to know is the origin of, of their decision is based in faith. 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 See, I was watching a lot of atheistic YouTube videos this week. It's called Research. And and and, they're, and all the atheists were, were just throwing faith out the window. Like, oh, yeah, we can't substantiate faith. It's, you know, like that doesn't, you know, matter. So we can't even talk about that. We're only going to talk about things we can measure, things that we can, you know, substantiate, things that, you know, I need evidence, right? And, and the reality is, is that maybe, maybe they have the wrong definition of what faith is. They have the wrong definition of what faith is because according to the most faith-filled book in the world, they define faith as this. In Hebrews 11, chapter 1, or chapter 11, verse 1, the author defines faith as substance, as evidence. You don't believe me, do you? Do we have the verse for that? Hebrews 11, 1? Cool. Now, faith is the substance of things unseen. So what is faith? Faith is a what? Substance for things not seen or for the things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a substance, and faith is the evidence of the things that you don't see. Well, 
If that is the case, then both parties are using what? Faith. Because you hope that this chair is going to hold you up. You, at least you hoped before you sat down, but you didn't even think about it. You assumed it, and you sat down anyways. For instance, you know there's a bus that flies in the air? It's called an Airbus, also known as a plane. Like, I don't understand how two tons of metal with chairs in it is going to take off an LAX and land six hours later in Florida. And I'm just going to trust that there's two people in a cockpit who are qualified to take me there. How many of you fly on planes? Do you, do you meet the pilot every time? No, but you hope he's qualified. You really do, right? Let me tell you, you are using what? Faith when you get on the plane. See, you don't need to use faith if you don't get on the plane because you you're like, I don't believe it or like I just can't substantiate it or whatever, right? But th there's things that you do all the time and you use faith in. And those are things that are way less significant than your eternal security or the fact that God exists. See, when it comes to this argument of who made you, it's less about proving that God exists because then if I prove to you that God exists, then you don't need faith for that. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So there's an element of faith, but the proving that God does not exist, well, I, you definitely need a lot of faith to prove that. Because for the atheists, you're telling me that nothing was doing nothing for all of nothing and at some time, and eventually decided to do something. And did something so well that it created a primordial ooze. And that primordial ooze turned into cells. And that cell turned into a guppy. And that guppy turned into a frog. And that frog hopped up on land, turned into a monkey. That monkey hopped into a tree and then hopped down the tree, apparently. And then went into Target, shaved his back, and then showed up to church. Hi, Sebastian. Right. That. But that. That is what we're trying to say. Let me tell you, that takes faith. There are five top arguments that lean that God created you uniquely. Now, I'm not here to prove to you one way or the other. I'm just trying to let you know some of the reasons why believing in God might be the most reasonable thing you can do. See, unlike the historical paradigms that we've lived in, because, you know, ancient paradigms of the creation story, you always needed something to create the world, right? Something didn't just come from nothing, right? Something came from something. And so in the ancient world, they used to think the gods used to fight like big fighting gods, boom, and one god killed the other god, and out of the blood of the dead god, the winner created this paradise out of his carcass, right? That was like the ancient tradition of belief in creation. And then today we have this other option, which is we have a self-existent universe that did nothing until he did something. Faith. I'm saying 
that intelligence comes from intelligence, that life comes from life, that non-life does not create life. What I'm saying, there's top five for the existence or points to the existence of God. Can I share with you those top five? I did the research. Please say yes. Cool. The universe has a beginning, therefore it points to a beginner. The universe has a beginning, therefore it points to a beginner. You are a human being with a beginning, therefore there's a beginner. I think that logically follows. Number two, the fine-tuning of the universe. You know, physics and cosmology. Oh gosh, I was going to do makeup right now. Um, cosmology. There's over 100 um, consistencies that would need to take place in order for life to exist, and that's very fine-tuned. Third, DNA. Do you know one strand of DNA can store over 500,000 movies? That's a half a million movies, like, of data, not actual movies. It's not like you're going to pull out and be like, oh, yeah, Avengers. Uh, I'm just saying, like, like, the amount of data it would take to create a movie, there's over 500,000. And the reason why DNA is important and the information in DNA, much like the information you would find in a book points to an author, the information in your DNA points to a creator. Third, fourth, the moral argument. If there's objective moral values, objective moral values simply means that we can all agree that killing babies or, you know, torturing little children is wrong, right? That's an objective moral value. That means God must exist. So, but the reality is, here's the logical statement. There are objective moral values, therefore God does exist. And then you have the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> now, that will mess with your head. Because for we haven't been measuring time the same way. You know that, right? Like, it, it wasn't like 100 B.C., 99 B.C., and people were looking around like, oh, what are we counting down to? You know, it's like 75 B.C., 50 B.C., 49 B.C. What's happening? Like, it's like they weren't, like, freaking out. Like, that's not, we haven't always been measuring time in A.D. and B.C. And so something had to happen. What happened? Well, someone died and came back. Someone just didn't stay dead. And the guy who didn't stay dead, who resurrected, had the right to tell humanity what time it was. I just came up with that right now. It was pretty clever, right? So we started measuring time from that particular instance, and it had shaped humanity. So Jesus came and split time. He's historical, right? He's archaeological, and he's most influential, Jesus came, he claimed to be God. You either believe that he's, well, you, you either believe him or you don't, right? He can't be a good teacher or a good guy if he claims to be God, right? Most people who claim to be God are crazy. He did die. The tomb was empty. And D Jesus did appear to over 500 people. And the witnesses were willing to die for the risen and resurrected Savior, because people don't die for a lie. So who has the right to label you? The one who made you. And I'm saying that this God didn't just make your outer space. He made your inmost being. See, Psalm 39, 13, David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, in 2016, they studied an embryo, and, and when it was fertilized, it created a spark. 
And it's at that moment we believe maybe the conception of life began. And, and David is saying, you knit me together even when people conceived me, even when I was in my mother's womb. That spark, it's not just zinc. It was you carefully crafting my hair color, my skin color, my future hairline. I'm just saying, there's only one person who has the right to label you tonight, and that's the one who made you. But it's up to you to believe if that that person or that thing that made you is an intelligent designer or an impersonal universe. Both take faith, you get to decide. The second thing that gets to label you, not just the manufacturer gets to label you, but the one who purchases you gets to label you. You're like, purchase me? What are you talking about? There hasn't been slavery in a long time. Well, in other parts of the world. The one who purchases you is the one who gets to label you. See, the, the things that you purchase, like, uh, I go on, I go, well, I don't go hiking. I went hiking once, right? And, <laughs> and I was carrying this cup called a hydro flask. Anybody have a hydro flask? Right? In order to not get my hydro flask confused with somebody else's because I, I believe people do have cooties. And um, wh- what do I do to that hydro flask? I put a label on it, right? And I say, not yours. Right? That's the label. <laughs> well, I just say Kelly. Right? When I was a kid, I had lunch boxes. Lunch box. I. Lunch box. I had a lunch box. Right? And everybody had lunch boxes. So I put my name on my lunchbox, or my mom did because I couldn't spell at the time, right? Um, if some of you guys play baseball and you have baseball gloves and you don't want that baseball glove to get confused with anybody else's baseball glove, so what do you do on the inside of that baseball glove? You put your name on it. You label it because you purchased it, right? The one who made you gets to put a label on it. The one who purchased you gets to put a label on it. Colossians 1.13 says this. Colossians is a book in the Bible, 66 books, over 44 authors, 1,500 years. Colossians, Paul wrote, he said this. For he has rescued us. He has rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and transferred us into a kingdom of his dear son who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, when you think of the word purchase, you just think of an inanimate object at Vons, and you're like, I need ketchup, ketchup, good, boom, basket, purchased, done, right? That's what I think of when I think of the word purchase. But I'm actually thinking of a, di- like, this is communicating something very different than uh, an inanimate object. This is a person who needs to be rescued type of purchase situation. For instance, Madison. Hi, Madison. This is Maddie right here. Isn't she pretty? She is. Go ahead and stand up and wave. Stand up and wave. I want everyone to see Madison. All right, go ahead. And st- She's awesome. Okay, okay, it's enough. Okay, Madison. All right, this is what I mean. It would be as if a terrorist came in here, stole Madison, right? Just like, whoa, num, got you, Madison, right? Because that's my terrorist voice. Ha, got you, right? Steals Madison, kidnaps her completely, and then calls your dad 
And instead of wanting money to release Madison, he says something really messed up. He says, hey, Mike, Madison's dad, um, um, hey, you want to see Madison? And he's like, yeah. Um, Then bring me your other daughter, Madison's sister. Now that's messed up. So Madison's sister is like the bargaining chip here. And Mike, Madison's dad, has to make a decision, right? (laughs) How much is Madison worth? Is she worth the life of my other daughter? Because I'm going to lose one here, right? That is what it's like. And so what Mike does is crazy. He's like, okay, you can have her. Madison's sister goes and rescues Madison. Madison sets free, but the terrorist doesn't realize that Madison's sister is a ninja assassin and kills the terrorist. Yeah, Madison's sister! Right? I know, you're so funny. It's right now. It's hilarious. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but the reality is it's the type of purchase that you needed was the kind of purchase that's needed in a ransom. And all of us, at one point, were held captive by sin and death because there's an expiration date on all of our lives. And the only way that you can be rescued from death is if, we're, is if God were to personally intervene and exchange his life for yours. Purchased. And the one who purchased you has the right to label you, wouldn't you say? And the one who purchased you labels you redeemed, labels you rescued, labels you worthy, labels you loved. Because you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. So who has the right to label you? The one who purchased you. The one who made you. And lastly, the one who owns you. I know that's, that's also uncomfortable to hear. The one who owns you. See, owners have the right to label the things they what? Own. Right? It would be weird if I were to go into your house and start labeling your stuff. Like kitchen, TV, mom, dad. I just started slapping these on here. Athlete, you know, artist. Right? Just on the things in your life. And here's the thing. I might be right, but I don't have the right to label the things that you own. I might be right, but I wouldn't have the right. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16 about this very topic, about the ownership of our lives. And this is for those who have been rescued. This is for those who have been redeemed. This is for those who have been purchased. He says this, do you know? Do you know? You, do, you probably don't know this. Do you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? I think Paul said that because he was putting them on notice. You know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. Therefore, you are not your own. Let's unpack this word temple. I was in Israel not too long ago. Actually, it was two years ago. That's pretty long. Uh, We have some pictures of what the uh, Western Wailing Wall 
is. Can we go ahead and throw a picture? Next picture, that's just a cool one. I like that one. All right, cool. Let's leave that one. Right. This was the original temple where the, the, the Israelites used to think that God dwelt in. Right. On that wall, you see the bricks, those Herodian stones? Uh, that's a whole other magic trick, too, that we can't talk about. Um, but that wall is the western retaining wall of the original temple in which they thought that God dwelt in. Right? And so anybody who went to that temple, or at least on the other side of the temple, into like the inner gates and into the Holy of Holies, they thought that they were meeting with God. Right? They believed God existed and dwelt inside of a temple with big walls. But when Jesus died, next picture, I want to see how many pictures I put up. Right? But when Jesus died, right, he tore the veil that separated humans and God's presence. Next picture. But these people, my beloved Jewish friends, they have not accepted Jesus. They have not accepted the access that Jesus has made for them. So they still go worship at this wall. Even though the other side of the wall has been completely occupied by uh, Islamic territory, they cannot go further than that. But this is the closest place that they think that they can go to God's presence. So they worship there. But Jesus said, no, no more. No more will God's spirit just live inside buildings, in a temple. Instead, I will make you the temple. I will put my spirit within you. And you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Next picture. You will become that temple because God's presence will not live there. It will live within us. It will live within the church. And when we come together, people experience God's presence. When you meet somebody, people experience God's presence because God's presence lives within you. The the thing that you need to remember is if God is in your bod, wherever you take your bod, you take God. I know it's cheesy, but you won't forget it. Thank you. If God is in your body, wherever you take your body, you take God. So the question is, where are the doors? Where are the doors to God's temple? It's your eyes. It's what you look at. It's what you listen to. It's what you put in your mouth. It's who you have sex with. See, your body is meant to be a temple, not a wonderland, not a roller coaster. See, no matter what has happened to you, when God purchases you, when God owns you, you become a temple now. Your body becomes such so much more significant. You have so much more value when God buys you, purchases you, rescues you, and therefore owns you. So you no longer make decisions about your sexuality. You no longer make decisions about what you just watch. You no longer make decisions what you listen to by yourself. You, can, you, need, to consent, you need to consult the owner because now you're a manager. So who has the right to label you? It's the one who owns you. Let's invite the band up. It's the one who purchased you. It's the one who made you. Maybe today you've been sitting in the residual of the labels that you grew up with. Maybe somebody didn't have to say anything. Maybe you just inferred that you're not whatever. 
And, and here's the worst label of them all that hurts the most, especially me. Maybe nobody, you, maybe you didn't feel accepted, but there was a label that you were looking for, you were hoping to get, but you never got. It was the label called popular. Did you get that? I didn't. But none of those labels matter. Because they don't have the right. Because they don't own me. They did not rescue me. And they did not make me. So I ask you again, who has the right to label you? What are the labels that you're holding on to that we need to let go of today? See, there's a, um, an artist by, um, her name is Elisa, Elisa Cara. And she wrote a song called Scars to Your Beautiful. And like me, she had a lot of curly hair. And um, she used to flat iron and straight her hair. Her mom was a, um, like a hairstylist. And she wanted to hide her curls so much that she would flat iron her hair and put so much product in her hair that her hair started to fall out. And that led to a deep depression for her in her life. And then she wrote a song. And she vowed to whenever she performed this song that she would perform it without makeup in order to communicate a message that you're beautiful just the way you are. I asked um, our worship team to perform the song for us tonight. And remember, ask yourself the question, who on earth has the right to label you?
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He, had cre- he has created us anew in Christ Jesus to do good things that he's planned for us long ago. See, see, Elisa is talking about self-esteem, and I'm talking about Christ-esteem. See, you can find your labels within, but still your heart has the ability to deceive you. And I'm, I'm just reminding you that beauty is deeper than the labels that you've received. And I would agree with Elisa. But beauty is found in the master. See, for you were created by the master. You know what that makes you? A masterpiece. Isn't that awesome? See, the Ephesians 2 says this. It says, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. You know the Greek word for that is, you've probably heard it a million times, and I'm just going to tell you one more time, just in case you don't remember what that Greek word masterpiece means. The Greek word is called poema. It's where we get the word poem. See, you are like a beautiful poem, uniquely created. See, when God made you, he looked back and said, yes! This is my song to creation. Wherever she goes, wherever he goes, he or she is singing. Even if you don't have good vocal cords like me. Because you're reflecting the creator. A self-existent creator that didn't need to be created. Wow. We are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. There's some people here that need some newness in in their life. And I want to let you know that you came to the right place. See, you've been created to do good things. See, it doesn't, you, you know, you're not saved by the good things you do. You're saved so that you can do good things. You're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. You are God's masterpiece. And maybe today you've been holding on to some labels. The labels that you picked up from your mom, you picked up from your dad, you picked up from your education system, you picked up from your friends, you picked up from just being not being noticed. And you're carrying these labels around you, maybe something that was done to you or maybe something you did to somebody else, and you carry these labels with you everywhere you go. But today I'm going to invite you to put your labels down and pick up the master's label as a masterpiece, as a poema. Would you do that today? I'm going to invite everybody to put your heads down. Keep your eyes closed for a second. I want to give you an opportunity to get rid of your labels right now. I want you to exchange your life for the one that God offers in Jesus Christ. But it's a choice to let Him come in and start to change you from the inside out. We will let God in and let those labels down. If you're tired of the labels that you carry, I want to give you a chance to pick up a new one as a masterpiece. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to today, maybe, to pick up the label of a masterpiece, I want to pray for you. I want to give you that opportunity 
Maybe you've been holding on to labels that do not describe what the master says about you. And if that's you today, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity to look up at me so that I can be praying for you. So on the count of three, I just want you to look up at me. One, do you want to let your labels go? Two, do you want to be rescued from the power of darkness? And three, do you want to be labeled by the one who loves you? Go ahead and put your head up if that's you. That's you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You are a masterpiece. You are a poem. You are a masterpiece. You are a poem. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And go ahead and put your heads down. Now, will you pray this prayer with me in your heart and let Jesus come in and change you from the inside out? Just say, everybody, say it with us. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know that my sin cost the life of your son, your one and only son. I believe that your son, Jesus, died in my place so that I could be made clean from my sin. Thank you for forgiving me now and forever. Jesus, come into my life. Lead me from this day forward. Thank you for giving me new life. And in Jesus' name, we all said loudly, amen.